we pray this morning, I want to invite you to do something a little bit different. As I pray, I want you to repeat this prayer with me as you bow your heads, close your eyes, repeat this prayer with me. Father God, I'm hungry for your word. Help Brady to bring it. Help me to hear it. Help all of us to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, this morning as we gathered in first service, it was just so heavy on my mind of how blessed we are to gather like this and worship Jesus. Amen? You know, it, it's, it's a family gathering time like this uh, around Christmas that sometimes we can, we can get forgetful, we can take for granted the great blessing that we have in each other. You know, if you think of a, of, of, of a great family meal, I mean, what you would categorize is one of the best family meals you've ever had. My hunch is people weren't complaining about where the fork was placed or where the spoon was placed or, or if their napkin matched the shape of the napkin next to them. It's the fellowship together. There is something special that happens. You know, at Christmas time, I think we run the danger of missing the great thing that God has for us if we get our eyes focused on the wrong things. I, I remember as a child, this time of year, waiting with such great anticipation, tremendous anticipation for opening up Christmas gifts. I mean, I, I could hardly sleep the night before. And I, I couldn't wait to open them up. And I'll never forget being at my, my nana and my pappy's. That's what we call my grandma and grandpa. My nana and pappy's house. And what the tradition was there was nobody would open gifts until we read the Christmas story. And I tell you, when my pappy would read Luke 2, it was as if he read the entire Bible. And he had a way of making the Christmas story last forever. And when you are waiting, you can, I can see the gifts. I can see my name is written on that gift. And it, the story just goes on and on and on. Because I was so focused in on what I was going to receive or what I had anticipated or what I could see was promised to be given to me that, that I missed some of the great blessings around there. And sometimes our families, as much as we love them, they, they, can, they can kind of embarrass us. They can do things we don't understand. They can make us impatient. And, and that's definitely where I was. I was so focused on what I wanted to get. It's kind of cute and funny with, with kids, but it's a whole other thing as we grow. If we continue to live in that, it can be a tragedy. This morning, I want to start, you know, by sharing some letters from Santa Claus. I know you've heard some of these before, but it, it kind of is a cute way to remember what kids anticipate getting on Christmas morning. Dear Santa Claus, when you come to my house, there'll be cookies for you, but if you're really hungry, you can use the phone to order a pizza to go. Dear Santa, I, I want a puppy, a, a playhouse. Thank you so much. I've been very good this year, only wild a little bit. Dear Santa, I would like a skateboard for Christmas, but my mom said I can't have a skateboard unless I wear a helmet and knee pads, so I guess you better bring those too. Dear Santa, this is my Christmas list. I'd like a bike, a Wii, a basketball hoop, the kind you put in the driveway. I want some surprises. I've been very good this year. And by the way, if my sister says anything to you about me breaking her talking doll, I just want you to know that it just stopped talking, even though I was holding it. P.S. I'm really sorry about Blackie, her hamster. <laughs> Whatever that means. I don't know what that means. 
Dear Santa, I'll, be, I'll take anything this Christmas because I've not been good at all. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can remember the great anticipation for what it is that I would get. And looking back now that my Nana and Pappy are in heaven, I would give anything to have some of those moments with them again. The things that used to embarrass me so deeply, Nana was famous for giving us underwear. Underwear on Christmas. Underwear! When you're a kid, you don't want underwear, especially in front of all your girl cousins. doesn't matter if they're, you know, Wonderoos or whatever they were, the superhero Underoos. I, I didn't want those things. And then my Nana would do things that I didn't understand, that when she would give gifts to us, there was like a, a, a limit that they would spend, and she wanted all the grandkids to know that they were loved equally. So when you'd open up your gift, inside would be taped nickels and dimes and pennies and whatever would make up the difference between what one gift cost. If she got a sale somewhere, you, you would have that. And I remember thinking, this is wasting our gift time. I didn't understand this. And of course, as I shared, when Pappy would read that, I didn't quite understand it. But, but it's so precious to me now. My hunch is... That God has something for us this Christmas. And if we're not careful, we can be so focused in on what we had planned for this Christmas week or what we have planned even for this service today that we can miss something that may seem to be on the, the margins that could end up being very important. I've asked Pastor Katrina, our children's pastor, to come. And it's good to have our kids with us in worship this morning. And uh, Pastor Katrina is going to help us get started in this message. So kids, listen up. Make sure your mom and dad aren't sleeping. If they're sleeping, do this, okay? Very good. I wish I could have all of you, all the kids come up, but I've just asked a couple friends to help me since we're limited in space here. I've asked Jasmine, Fletcher, and Emma. So if you two girls can come up here for just a moment. Mr. Arbuckle is helping me bring in a package. Do you see it over there? <laughs> Their eyes are big. You guys want to step up here so people can see you a little bit better? Well, Jasmine and Emma, I have two presents here today, and this is one of them. <laughs> and the other one is right here in my hand. Do you see it? This is a present, too, and this is a present. And I'm wondering, do you guys have presents at your house that you're going to get to open? Yeah. 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 And are you excited to open them? Yes. Yes. How excited are you, Emma? I'm very excited. That you are. <laughs> well, as you can see, we have two presents. One big, nicely wrapped present, and one smaller present that really hasn't been wrapped much. It was just put in a bag. Which one is bigger? That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Right? That one's a lot bigger. And which one's wrapped better? That one. That's pretty obvious, too, isn't it? Emma and Jasmine, if I asked all these people out here which present between these two presents they would rather open, what do you think most of these people would say? They'd say that one. What do you think, Emma? I think they'd say that one. I agree with you about that. Yeah, I think they would too. So would you guys help me? Would you help me open this? Okay. Would you help me unwrap all that wrapping paper? You just go at it. Okay. I will give you a hint. It's not what the box says it is. (laughs) And Emma, you're trying to figure out how you're going to get up inside of there, aren't you? How are you going to get that out? Maybe Mr. Arbuckle will help you. (laughs) 
Jasmine, you guys want to help try to pull that out? And you show it up real high for everybody to see? <laughs> it's got some cobwebs and dirt and stuff hanging off of it. You can set it down careful. <laughs> Emma, would you like to take that home? No. No? But it was wrapped so nice. Would you like to take it home, Jasmine? No. Would your dad like it? <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> Jasmine's daddy wants to have it. <laughs> All right. Um, girls, I'm also going to let you both open this, okay? Yeah, I tricked you and taped it. Sorry. <laughs> what do you think? I want it. I want it. Good thing there's two of them. Jasmine, can you tell us what they are? Money. Oh, here, open them. Yeah, you get it for Emma. What, how much money? Five dollars. They each have a five dollar bill in that little sack. Wow. You know what? I'm going to let you guys keep that. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, girls, today Pastor Brady is going to be talking to us about um, Bethlehem. What was so special about Bethlehem? Do you guys know? Jesus was born. Right. That's right. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And he's going to be talking to us about that city called Bethlehem. But you know what? In the Bible, in the Bible, in the book um, of Joshua, chapter 15, a long time ago, the cities of the, in the land were all divided among the tribes of Israel, which was God's people. And did you know that all that land was divided among the tribes, but Bethlehem wasn't even mentioned. It wasn't even mentioned because it was too small and not important enough to even mention it in the Bible when they were dividing the land. Girls, have you ever heard this saying called, big things come in small packages? Have you ever heard that before? No? (laughs) Okay. There's a saying that goes like this, big things come in small packages. Okay, so I want you to think about those presents that you just opened, the big one and the little one. Big things come in small packages. What do you think that meant, Jasmine? Uh, that means uh, that big packages was uh, nicely wrapped, but it could have been something way smaller, too. Okay. And how, how about what was in this small package? Was it a pretty big thing for you? No. Well, the, the package wasn't big, was it? But was this a pretty big thing for you? Yes. Because it was a lot of money for you? Okay. So a big thing, the money, came in a small package. And what, Emma, what came in this really big, nice package? Something really great? No. Was it something that you wanted or didn't want? Didn't want. Right. But you wanted this thing that came in the small package, right? The money? Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do with your money, do you know? I don't know yet. Okay. Too, too many things to think about, huh? Well, I want, you guys, I want you girls to remember something. When you feel small or insignificant, not important, when you don't feel very important because you're young or because you're small, I want you to remember this money and how small of a package it came in. But it was really the treasure, wasn't it? It was the, really the great gift for you guys. And so this big package didn't really have a a gift that you guys cared all about, right? So when you guys feel small and insignificant, 
I want you to remember the money, and I want you to remember Bethlehem, because Bethlehem was like your, your small package of money. It was very small, so small to not even be mentioned in Joshua 15 when they were dividing the land, but it was significant. And Pastor Brady's going to tell us a little bit more about Bethlehem and why it was so significant and how we can remember that too, okay? So you guys get to keep your money. Would you, as you're heading back to your seat, I want you to listen in to Pastor Brady today, okay? Can you help grab some of that and throw it in the box? Let's give these girls a hand for me. Thank you, girls. Thank you, Pastor Katrina. You know, this anticipation of something, whether it's big or small, can't hardly wait for it to happen. Uh, The people of Israel had anticipated for quite some time the gift that was promised to them. 730 years earlier, God spoke his promise through the prophet Micah. Take your Bible and turn with me to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, or grab your outline in the bulletin, or you can look to the screens, and let's look at this promise, this prophetic word. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. The the prophet Micah foretold the birth of Jesus, and specifically named Bethlehem, as the origin of God's gift of salvation that would save the entire world. The first thing I don't want us to miss today that I think could could appear to be kind of on the margins, on the side, that's not at the heart of what we really want to hurry up and get to, but God doesn't want us to miss this, is the fact that Bethlehem would offer a gift to the world. Bethlehem would offer a gift to the world. To the world. Bethlehem, as Pastor Katrina and the girls were discussing, was not significant. It was a small, old town, not wealthy. The people were relatively poor, were oppressed. There was no significant economy in that gathering, that town. No center of great religious activity talked about there. No political offices that would come from there. There was no governmental programs that were super important. In fact, they were oppressed by their government, small in size and in population. In the world's eyes, this town was insignificant, not important. But there's this prophecy. Out of Bethlehem will come something great for the entire world. See, the gift would come even though Bethlehem was insignificant, even though Bethlehem was not important. Nothing about Bethlehem would make it worthy of the birthplace of the Messiah. I mean, nobody born from Bethlehem would would walk around saying, I was born in Bethlehem. I mean, there was no clout to be had. There was no significance just because of where you were born in Bethlehem. Jesus wouldn't say, hey, hey, I was born in Bethlehem. It was some lowly place that God chose to be this gateway in which he would bring his son. Yet, while Bethlehem was insignificant, it would divide history in half by the son who would be born there. The things that Jesus would say and do would change the world forever. And the gift that would come from Bethlehem would come despite opposition from the enemy of God. In Matthew 2, 16, it says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Based on the wise men's report, 
of the star's first appearance. You see, what's happening here is Herod, the one who's in charge, the one who's the ruler, hears of this prophecy, knows that it's been told that there'll be one who will come, who will be the ruler, who will set the people free, which would have negative implications for him. And so he hears this and he wants to come against it. And he hears that the the Christ child may be alive, may be up to two years old. So to be safe, let's just kill all the boys who are of that age or younger. You see, he did not want what God had planned. But God does what he always does as he was one step ahead of the enemies and he warns Joseph in a dream. The second key thought I want us to catch is the gift that was given would originate from God and pass through Bethlehem. It wasn't that Bethlehem had this great gift to give. It wasn't that Bethlehem had worked so hard or labored so much and saved so well, but that God would be the giver of this gift. It would originate from God. Bethlehem was not only insignificant, It didn't have much to offer, but God would be the source of this gift that would come through Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a conduit. It was the the tunnel. It was the path. It was the road in which this gift would come. You see, God would, would arrange the circumstances to fulfill his prophecy. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, the paraphrase puts it this way. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the entire Roman Empire. Everyone was required to return to his ancestral home for this registration, and because Joseph was a member of the royal line, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, King David's ancient home, journeying there from the Galilean village of Nazareth. See, the prophecy said that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, but there's a problem here. God, who visited Mary, who put the Christ child in her womb, she was in Nazareth. And yet the prophecy said the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. And so there is this 70-mile distance, this three- to four-day journey on foot separating them. But God, in his perfect timing, orchestrates the circumstances to get Mary and Joseph to where they needed to be. So his word would be fulfilled. We read in Jeremiah 1:12, the Lord said, I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. How many know that God will make good on his word all the time? Amen. There's things that happen in our life. We don't understand why they happen. And I think sometimes we get so frustrated, but yet God could quite possibly be placing you and me in the place where his word could be fulfilled in our life. I've never been nine months pregnant. Uh, My wife has been nine months pregnant. I may have slipped and made comments and say, you know, we are pregnant with our first child. And Carrie was quick to let me know that we were not pregnant. We we both had a part in, in being there, but she was the one who was pregnant. And there was things that she walked through in those nine months that, that I heard about, I witnessed, but I didn't experience. And, and I could just imagine Mary at nine months pregnant, traveling 70 miles on foot. This would not be the ideal thing. And, and yet here God was getting Mary and Joseph and the Christ child, to Bethlehem, to the place where it was prophesied that the Messiah would come from. It wasn't for their comfort. It wasn't, hey, how do you feel like doing this? It was because God wanted to position them in a place where his prophecy could be fulfilled. How many times in our life do we 
see the situations around us and we complain and we slip into this depression or this thought that God has forgotten me and could it be that God is orchestrating this to lead us to the place where His Word could be fulfilled in our life. Another thought is this gift would come for God's glory to usher in the kingdom of God. It says here in Micah 5, 2, Out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel. This gift was, was not just for the people of God. It was not just for Bethlehem. It was a gift for God. It would bring glory to Him. It would establish, it would fulfill His kingdom. The last part of Micah 2 reminds us that the gift that God brings is not to bring glory to me or to you or to others around us. It's to always glorify Himself. You say, well, Pastor Brady, okay, that's good. That's some good history about Bethlehem. But let's get to the good stuff. I mean, this is a detour. Where is the good stuff? I, I'm living in, in 2014, soon to be 2015. What does this little history lesson about Bethlehem have anything to do with my life right now? I believe that God wants us to see that he didn't give us these details about the Christmas account for no reason. Why is it that we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Why is it that we've been told about Mary being the mother of the Messiah? Why are we told these things? I think there is some truth for us today that God wants us to have. The Word of God foretells to you and to me that you and I were created for a divine purpose. And if we allow His gift that He has given to us to be given through us to the world, it can give us the greatest fulfillment and greatest purpose in our entire life. And here's a thought. You and I, we have a gift to offer the world. Ephesians 2.10 says, God has made us what we are. In Christ Jesus, God made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. God sought in his mind, he planned in advance, before you were even born, the gifts that he would give to you, the blessing that he would want to bring to the world through you. In Psalm 139, we, we read about how we were put together and, and God created us and He shaped us and He's given us gifts and a unique DNA to impact the world for His glory. And He said, you have significance because of what I want to do in and through you. I believe with all my heart that if we don't pay careful attention to the gifts that God has given to us and allow Him to make us a conduit, we could miss not only the opportunity to give that gift to the world, we could miss the very reason why we are alive. See, these gifts, these talents, these dreams, these resources, these, these divine thoughts that He's put into us are part of God's plan for your life. They originated in Him, not in you. And He wants us to invest our life in bringing glory to Him. See, our gift can come even though you and I are insignificant. Just like Bethlehem, you are insignificant. Aren't you encouraged on Christmas Sunday? And now, some of us, we don't have any trouble agreeing that we are insignificant. There are many in this room who go, yep, I'm first to say I am not important. But there's a handful of us who kind of get excited about ourselves. We go, well, hold on. Maybe you've not met me yet. I've got a few things about me that are just, you know, pretty okay. Friend, with all the love in the world, I want to tell you, of all the people who have ever lived, 
all the people who are yet to be born, you are insignificant. What you have to offer in and of yourself is not worth much. Man, I'm glad I came to church today. I'm so encouraged. Now, don't misunderstand me. God loves you. God has given His Son for you. But in and of yourself, you and I, we are Bethlehem. There is nothing to boast of. But yet God has chosen. I don't know why. It's a good thing He's God and I am not. God has chosen to put a gift in you. You are of great significance because of whose you are and what He has put in you. Not because of what you produce or because of how hard you work, or because of what you have mustered together, God has done something in you, and He wants to bless the world, even though you and I are insignificant. Right. Where, where do you get this, Pastor Brady? Well, let's, let's listen to 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 29. God chose things the world considers foolish, you and me, in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothingness what the world would consider great importance. As a result, no one can ever boast about the presence of God in them. See, just take Mary. Many would see her as as foolish, as powerless, as, as despised. Mary... An ordinary teenage girl did not have much life experience, not much wisdom, had never been a mother, was was barely through puberty. She most likely struggled with her parents like many adolescents would, possibly didn't even know very well this man that she was betrothed to be married to. She did not have a lot of wisdom, and yet God chose her. Here, he could have chosen the religious leaders who had it all figured out, but God didn't choose them. He chose this teenage girl. She was powerless. She had no money. She had no house. She had no rights. She had no husband yet. She had no place to live. She was the picture of powerlessness. She didn't have much to offer, yet God chose her, not the powerful religious leaders who had so much they thought to offer. She was despised by many, but that's who God chose to use. He brought the gift through some insignificant town, some insignificant teenage girl. He's chosen to give his gift to the world through insignificant me and you. He wants to bless the world through us. God is still doing that today. People who don't have it all figured out, but are willing to trust Him, He is touching the world through them. People who lack resources and lack the power to pull it off, they trust that He will provide. God is bringing a salvation to the world through His Son Jesus, through the message He's given to you and to me. See, the people that God often uses are the people that the world has written off because they don't have certain degrees and they don't have a certain title. They're not born on the right side of town. They don't have the pedigree that was expected. But they were crazy enough to believe that despite all these circumstances, God placed a gift in them, a dream in them, resources in them, and they would surrender to God saying just like Mary, may it be to me as you have said it would be. 
In other words, may you do what you have prophesied would be done, even if you're going to do it through me. I'm going to trust you to provide. See, the kingdom of God can come. And there's no boasting for many of us because he's the one who gives that gift. Our gift can come even though there will be an enemy to oppose us, just like Bethlehem. Our gift can come even though there is an enemy who will oppose us. When the time came for God to bring the gift into the world, the enemy did not remain silent. Herod tried to stop God. When it comes to you and me delivering the gift that God has placed inside of us, the enemy hates this. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, stay alert. Watch out. Your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In John 10, 10, it says, a thief is only there to steal, to kill, and destroy. Don't, Don't miss this. Not because you and I are so valuable, but because of the gift that's been given to us that God wants to reach the world through us is so valuable. He wants to stop it. But God, like God always does, in His perfect timing, He provides a way in spite of the opposition. The second thought maybe for us, our gift, just like Bethlehem, will originate from God It won't be from us. It'll originate from God, but it will pass through us. We have a part to play in this. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. See, Bethlehem was not the giver of the gift. They were the conduit in which God chose to give the gift. You see, God has given to every single person in this room. He has given you a set of spiritual gifts. Some to be an encourager, some to be a teacher, some to be an evangelist, some to be a giver, some to serve in certain ways. He has given you gifts. He's given you different sets of resources. He's given you different passions and, and I believe, divine ideas and dreams that He'll put into your heart. That's more than just Last night's chili bubbling in your stomach, there's, there's something supernatural about what he's placed in you. And he has called you to be a conduit to give that to the world. But if, if we don't see that this is part of our calling, if we miss it, we can try to hurry up and get to the good stuff and miss out on the fact that the good stuff, I don't know why, God chose you and me to be a part of. Pastor Brady, this is Christmas Sunday. Let's talk about baby Jesus. Let's talk about him coming again. With a sword and on a stallion. And the, why are we talking about Bethlehem? Why are we talking about Mary? Because God, in the details of this Christmas narrative, this real life story, He chose to use places and people like you and me who are insignificant in and of ourselves, but yet we were written in to this divine, amazing, greatest story ever told. As I think back to that Christmas with my Nana and Pappy, I would give anything to be around them now as they are in heaven. I missed how precious it was that my grandma loved her grandkids so much that she would tape nickels and quarters and dimes to make sure we all knew that we were loved equally. I missed that my grandfather was passing on not only the tradition of reading the Christmas story, but how it captivated his mind. I would venture to say... Everybody else was bored to death, even my parents. 
But we saw how excited Pappy was about this story. And something powerful was there. Could it be that we are running a possibility of of the danger of missing the great thing that God wants to do through us this Christmas? See, God will orchestrate our life circumstances to fulfill the prophecy to bring that gift to life. Let's review Mary and Joseph. Remember, they're 70 miles away from Bethlehem. They're in Nazareth. And and here, God has placed his son in Mary's womb. And they're not in the place where the prophecy said. And so he allows this census to be called for that moves them to travel at this inconvenient time to be in Bethlehem. Could it be this Christmas you find yourself in some very difficult, disturbing circumstances? As believers, we claim Romans 8.28 often, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And we remind each other in times of grief and sorrow that God doesn't cause all things to happen, but He causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him. And that brings some comfort and some healing in challenging times. But I wonder if we miss the other part of that is... God often allows that to take place because he wants to get us in the position, in the place where his word can be fulfilled in our life. And so maybe this Christmas, maybe in the midst of some challenging situations, you could see that God may not have caused this situation, but he has allowed you to be put in a place where the greatest gift for the whole world would not only come for you, but it would come for others through you. Finally, our gift will come for God's glory not for our glory. What is it that we long for deep in our heart? Is it something that's for us or is it something that is for God's glory? 1 Corinthians twelve seven says, Each person is giving something, given something to, to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on this. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit and to all kinds of people. Every person is given spiritual gifts. Every person has resources to some degree that God is calling you to usher in His kingdom. We all have an opportunity to get in on it. As we close this morning in my conclusion, I have a thought I want to share with you. It's this. Most people will take a long time to die. I know you're not supposed to end a sermon with saying something like that. It's kind of depressing. But it's the truth. I mean, statistics tell us that most people will will be on a deathbed with some kind of illness. There'll be some time waiting to die. Now, now some, because of a a crisis or an accident or something that happens in a moment that happens, but, but statistically, most of us in this room... It'll take us a while to die. And I want to ask you this. If if you are on your deathbed, whether you have weeks or days or hours or minutes, as you contemplate your life story at the end of your life, how would you respond to some of the questions that would ask, what did my life add up to? Did I really matter? What did I live for? Who will remember me? What will they say about me when, I am, when I'm gone? Why was it even important that I existed? So many questions and enough time to, to think them through. Will you have no regrets? Will you have some regrets? Will you have nothing but regrets? If you imagine that with me, it can 
bring us to a point of decision today. Or maybe we don't imagine that. Maybe we say, ah, that is depressing. I'm not going to think about that. On Christmas Sunday morning, this is absolutely silly. I'll just wait till I get there and then I'll figure out how my life ends. You see, I think there's, there's a better way. The decision that you and I are making today will be how we view our life has gone on our deathbed. Now imagine with me, could it be that the greatest contribution of your life, the greatest thing that you have done in your life to this point, the best thing, what if that was the least important thing? In other words, saying, what if in the remainder of your life, there's something that God wants to do in and through you to bring glory to himself that would outshadow everything else you have done in your life? Whether you are seven years old or 97 years old, could it be that God has the greatest days of your life yet to come? See, God has given a gift to you, and this Christmas, I believe He wants us to look beyond what we get, look beyond even what we give to each other, and begin to see that He has given something to us that He wants to change the world with. In 1577, Sir Francis Drake wrote this prayer. It was a prayer he wrote before setting out on his attempt to sail completely around the world. And this prayer spoke to me this week. It goes like this. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little. When we arrive safely because we have sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity and our efforts to build new earthly homes. We have allowed our vision of a new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly to venture to wilder seas where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land will help us see the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes, push into the future in strength and courage and hope and in love. Sir Francis Drake completed that mission to sail around the world, but I think even greater than that mission he completed is this glimpse of his heart and prayer that's been given to us. You see, Advent is a man-made season where the people of God set aside this time to anticipate Christ's coming. My prayer for this Advent, this Christmas season, is that God will prepare in us the gift, the dream that he is wanting to give to the world around us. I want to invite you as we close to stand with me. Pastor Edgar is going to help us as we sing this song that's very familiar to us. And and could it possibly be that you sing this song maybe with fresh new eyes today? You see, I don't think Bethlehem was wringing its hands, trying to figure out what can we do to usher in the Messiah? They didn't have anything to offer. They didn't try to plan and scheme and figure it out. I don't think Mary, I don't read anywhere where Mary says, you know what, i got to start doing better and being better and, and work more to be the mother of the Messiah. She just said, may it be as you have said in me. Could it be this Christmas that we stop planning and scheming and trying to do better this next year? But could it be that we say, God, I recognize you have given the message of hope to me. You have entrusted me with some gifts, 
some talents, some abilities. And if you see fit, would you do in me what your plan would call him to be and hope for the world? Friend, you and I, like Bethlehem, insignificant, have a huge role to play this Christmas. Let's sing it together.